You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. And before we jump into this episode, I just want to give a special shout out to our recent guests who've done an amazing job of promoting the podcast on their various social media platforms and have inevitably driven new traffic to our episodes, which is never a bad thing. And to those of you who are new to the 26er family, first and foremost, welcome. Now I'm going to ask you for a quick favor. Make sure you rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. That would be much appreciated. Now on to this episode's guest, Dina McKay. Dina is the founder and host of the monthly podcast, Black Tech Unplugged. Dina started Black Tech Unplugged as a way for minorities to see people who looked like them in the tech industry. She also wanted to share tips and advice for those trying to get into the industry. In addition to her work on the podcast, Dina works as an agile business analyst at a consulting firm in Chicago. In her role, she creates customer relationship management systems for clients, which in turn helps them optimize their business. Now, we were fortunate enough to catch Dina on a weekend trip to New York City and were able to record this interview. And we get a lot into how she landed in the tech field and a bunch of other great topics as well. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy and go ahead and take a listen. Dina McKay. Welcome to the December 26er podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for taking time out of your trip to New York (laughs) uh, to chat with me today. I'm really happy to have you. So tell us, who is Dina McKay? Dina McKay is a woman, Black woman who works in technology. I've been in the industry for over five years now and also the host and creator of a podcast called Black Tech Unplugged, which highlights Blacks who work and innovate the tech space, be it as an entrepreneur or just working in the space and being kind of like the only Black person in the tech space. Which happens more often than not. (laughs) You are the only Black person. So, you know, because there are not a lot of us, I'm always intrigued by those who have worked within the tech industry. How did you get started on the tech side? To be honest, it was random. So when I went to college, I thought I was going to be an athletic trainer, which probably sounds completely insane. Who thinks they're going to be an athletic trainer? So, of course, after a semester of classes, I knew this wasn't for me. But I was always interested in technology and I knew I wanted to have some business background. So what I did was I started taking information systems and I realized how easy everything came and how much fun I had doing it. So started studying information systems, did that for four years in college, then went to grad school and got a master's in it. And during the course of that time, I was doing different positions in tech. So I've done application development and data warehousing, just different positions to figure out what part of tech I actually liked. Got it. So what year was this when you like made the switch and you decided information systems was for you? So that was like 2006. So or 2005, 2006. So my first year of college. Okay. So at that time, because when I think about like information systems and sort of technology related degrees, especially at that time, I'm going to assume that you were outnumbered in terms of like gender. So male to female ratio. Is that true? Oh, for sure. I think in my classes, all I can remember, I had friends that 
were in the program, mm-hmm. but I think I was probably the only female. That's what I thought. So, I mean, was that like an intimidating experience to be the only female in a program like that? You know what? For me, it wasn't intimidating, but I came from an area where when I was growing up, I was one of the only black females just like in school or in different programs that I would do. So I was almost in a way used to it. And I always had a good support system. So my family was always supportive of what I did and always encouraged me to go the next step. So I wasn't really fearful or anything Mm -hmm. being the only woman. I always just wanted to be the best I could be. Right. So I'm going to deviate a little bit since you brought it up. Okay. I too (laughs) can relate to this idea of like being the only right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. especially if you are you know high achieving you are really trying to broaden your horizons as a black person you will be in situations quite often where you're the for lack of a better word token and I often found in those experiences or those environments that people were looking at me especially as a kid like well how did you get here right and then mm-hmm. making assumptions about who they thought I was right because right. I was from a different area or they didn't see a lot of people who looked at me looked like me or looking at me as like the voice of all black people (laughs) which I hate I hate that to this day we're not a monolith right don't look to me like you know to be the voice of all people but did you ever feel that pressure to represent right a whole community or like somebody was looking at you with presumptions based on color and gender in your case from my perspective I don't think so Mm -hmm. I guess i think I'm unique in the sense of I don't really I don't I care about things but I don't really care about your opinion if Mm -hmm. you want to you can ask me a question about being black or being a female but I don't take that as you know I've got a I'm the voice of all black females Mm -hmm. in tech there's so many people obviously when you go to a job it might only be one version of me and that would be myself or you know it could be one other person but I never feel like I'm the voice Mm -hmm. can I voice my story in my opinion yeah but I'm not the end all be all. And I think a lot of times we forget that we don't have to be that person. We don't have to carry the world. And it's easier to just say, you know what, I'm just because I'm the only black person that you might see in the office doesn't mean that my opinion is this is my opinion. Right. It's not my word isn't the golden word. So I just think it's helpful that people remind themselves to actually voice that opinion. Sure. Okay. so let's fast forward. Mm -hmm. You've, you know, got you've gone to undergrad, you've gotten a master's degree. And did you work in between or you went straight through? Uh, I went straight through. I was doing internships in between. Okay, so now you've entered the workforce. Did you find it difficult to get your first position or was that a seamless process? Wasn't a seamless process. I graduated from graduate school and I went home actually to another internship that I was working for three months. So during that process, I was interviewing at different positions. And so I did get an offer at first, I think at the week, like maybe a few weeks into my internship in Chicago. So I'm interning in Cleveland, but I have a job in Chicago when I'm done with my internship. But then another position opened and I actually interviewed for that too and got that position. So I was in the weird predicament of having having to tell my original offer, no, I'm not going to come here. I actually am going to this other company. Yeah, about that. Um, not going to make it. Sorry. <laughs> I've never had to have that conversation, but I don't know if I could do it. I, I mean, I always feel like this sense of loyalty, like I'm beholden once an offer you know, has been extended and I've accepted. Right. But it sounds like you were just like, it's another opportunity over here. It's more appealing and I'm going to take that. Oh, it was no, it was scary. Well, because it's like my first, it's almost like my first real position. Mm -hmm. Like I'm getting the salary, like I'm an adult now. Right. 
and I got to go do this now. Like I was not ready. I was so nervous to call and say, oh, actually, I got another offer, so I'm not coming. (laughs) But what was kind of weird about that situation is when I made the phone call, they're like, oh, this has happened before. So they were kind of used to it in a weird way. I mean, I would think that it's competitive. Tech is uber competitive, right? In terms of like companies looking for talent, looking to poach talent, et cetera. So maybe it's a little bit more commonplace in that field than others. I guess. I mean, I just, I don't know. I feel like tech has its own set of problems, so it's still very similar to any job, Mm -hmm. I guess. I guess it can happen often. At that time, I didn't even feel like I felt like tech was a huge thing. So that was in 2011. Okay. And yeah, tech was starting to grow and get big again, but, you know, after the dot-com burst, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't any different than any industry to me at that time. Got it. So to them, I guess people were leaving left and right. (laughs) They were like, it happens. Thanks. Best of luck to you. (laughs) So what drew you to one job over the other? Uh, I'll be honest, probably salary. Not mad. Probably salary. (laughs) Both of them were consulting roles, but they were consulting with the software they were using was different. So the one that I took was a manufacturing software, which... What was I thinking? Because like, I don't know nothing about no manufacturing. (laughs) And I don't really care to know anything about any manufacturing. But and the other one was Microsoft CRM. And the funny story is, so I did the Microsoft CRM. I did not take. I took the manufacturing one. Later on, I got retrained to do CRM at the job that I took anyway. The next job I took was CRM, too. And then I had a job in between. Now I'm back at using um, customer relationship management for people who don't know. I was about to say for the non-techies, yes. let's say what CRM is. Customer relationship <laughs> management. It's so whenever you are in a business and you need to manage, like, who do you send campaigns to? So like marketing campaigns, email campaigns, it tracks all of that in the system. Long story short, I'm back in the CRM world and I've been there for about a month now. So you're, you're newly back in the, yes. the CRM world. And yes. people who are not really into tech mm-hmm. um, are probably like CRM, I, you know, my eyes are glazing over I don't know why I need to know this but if you are starting a business or thinking about starting a business or you're in the nonprofit space and you've got to raise money anything where you have targets mm-hmm. CRM is something you should know about and utilize and oh. they're they're called they're cost-effective solutions out there too as well right oh, for mm-hmm. sure there's so many different CRM systems be it the one that I currently use you have to obviously pay for and Microsoft obviously is going to make you pay for mm-hmm. CRM nothing with Microsoft is free nothing nothing <laughs> There are free options, especially if you have a smaller database of customers. So don't think that you have to pay this like extravagant fee just to have a CRM system. It's not that way at all. Right. And also it's just from an organizational perspective for me, a win, right? Right. Especially if you're trying to launch something, you're all over the place. Like you have all these things you're trying to manage. You've got to find ways to streamline and keep yourself organized and more efficient. And I'm a huge proponent of CRM systems and also other just project management Mm -hmm. platforms that are out there. So Shout out to CRMs that help <laughs> us folks who are doing way too much. <laughs> Keep right. it all together. <laughs> okay, so you're in a new role. Yes. Right. So what is your title now? So now I'm an agile business analyst, which people are probably like, that's a lot of words. And what does it all mean? So agile is a methodology or basically a way that people produce products. So instead of taking all the requirements and then building something and showing the customer at the end with agile, you build in iterations, which mm-hmm. are like two to three weeks long, get customer 
customer feedback, make changes, show them again. So it's a constant change in the system to make sure everything is right within the process of building it instead of waiting to the end and saying, oh, I didn't want this. Right. It's a lot to me. It's a better methodology than, let's say, waterfall and waterfalls when you get the requirements at the beginning and create the create the system and then show the customer because client feedback is so important. You Mm -hmm. can't build something if you don't know what they want. Right. So it's important to have that information. So that's the agile part. Business analysts is just reaching out to the customer, building that rapport, trying to understand what they want through conversation at first and then working with your team to actually build that product. Got it. So I work as, you know, a corporate lawyer. So yes. agile is like the word right now. You, oh. you hear it all the time. You see those iterations in contracts, et cetera. And, you know, people might be listening and think, oh, OK, well, you know, that's for some major project. I'm just like a little entrepreneur. Do you think that that agile concept is transferable or applicable to smaller endeavors as well? Oh, for sure. So I definitely try to use that with my side hustle with my mm-hmm. podcast, Black mm-hmm. Tech Unplugged, little tasks that I know I want done a certain way. I just try to make tasks that, you know, meet, do some, do a little something, look back, see, do I actually like that? Do a little something more, make changes. So I definitely think it's helpful. I'm not trying, I don't know if I use it in like life scenarios Mm -hmm. though. I don't think so. More so just like side hustle stuff, any side business, it would be helpful. I know a friend of mine, she has a business called Queen's Brunch and she wanted us to help her um, improve her website. And so she had an agile meeting for her birthday. This was like a birthday brunch. And we <laughs> sat there and like had an agile session and like changed, like helped change her website. Listen, you got to optimize your time. <laughs> and as someone who is really busy, I, I find that like work conversations or conversations about what I'm into, side hustles, bleed into almost everything. If I get into a room with with people who are into what I'm into, Mm -hmm. we are going to end up talking about something related to our projects, how to make them better, brainstorming. And as long as the other person's into it, I mean, I'm fine, you know, with that. I'm passionate about the things that I'm working on. So I might have to steal her her agile (laughs) brunch idea. You should. I, I mean, I'm I'm going to I borrowed it. That's the way I borrowed her idea. But I told her I was borrowing and it was a good idea. <laughs> Got it. So, you know, I, I wanted to ask that question because I I feel like a lot of times people who we deem, you know, 26ers were mm-hmm. always swinging for the home run. We have these big ideas, mm-hmm. but we get overwhelmed by trying to sprint to the finish line. Right. And one fell right. swoop, like and wanting it to be seamless and get it all done and not taking small bites of the elephant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So while I've heard this term, you know, agile more for large scale, you know, huge corporate or, you know, projects or endeavors, Mm -hmm. I do think no matter what it is, even if it's something very small, like I'm starting a podcast or I'm writing a book, I think there's there's a part of it that you can use to execute any any process or, or project for sure. Right. And there's like so there's different ceremonies within Agile. Like you do, for instance, on my team, we do stand ups every morning for like 15 minutes. So you understand what everyone's working on, if there's any issues you need to solve and who couldn't implement that. And like if you have a team of people right, doing a 15 minute stand up, maybe not every day, you set your own cadence or time frame of how often you need to meet. But like who wouldn't how would that not benefit you? Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is why we try to do so many different like varied topics on this podcast, because I do think you you need to kind of feed people at a 360 degree level and mm-hmm. expose them to things that they may not otherwise be exposed to. And some of it's going to be inspirational and motivational and some of it's just going to be tactical skills. Like you want to be more productive. You want to maximize time. You want to exhaust your potential. Here's some of the, the things that you can 
can do and implement today to help. And I think that this agile concept is one of those things. Right. And mm-hmm. one thing, because you touched on kind of like meeting people outside of your industry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of tech people right now are focused, like got to know the hottest innovators at such and such startup. But I think a piece that people are missing is that you need to know people in all industries. You might need an account one day. If you're talking to all tech people, how are you going to find an account? <laughs> right. Except for people your friends use. But like you should diversify your network. Absolutely. Build up that Rolodex for yes. sure across fields. Yes. So I'm sure you're building up your Rolodex through <laughs> podcasts and all the things you've got going on. So let's talk about Black Tech Unplugged. How long have you been around? I celebrated one year this June. Congratulations. Thank you. In the Thank podcast you. world, that is a big deal. Right. Because <laughs> you know how many times you want to just be like, I don't want to do, why am I even doing this? Is anybody even listening to this? Exactly. I don't know. Like you go through all this work, you know, trying to find guests, prep guests, logistics, we know what that is like, right. right? Getting in the same room, figuring it out. And then, you know, you you release the episode. It's like, I did all that for like 30 <laughs> listens in the first day. Right. Um, but for me, I find this is where, you know, I may be a little bit weird, but I don't care if it's 15 listens. I'm so excited that people like clicked on that button and they clicked on the first day. Like the minute right. it dropped, they were into right. it. So that's where I like sort of feed. I feed off of that. That's where I get my energy from, for sure. So what prompted you to start Black Tech Unplugged? So everyone was out. There's always this conversation. The pipelines drive for blacks and tech, you know, all these all these, um, you know, false narratives. Like, mm-hmm. it's fake news. Like, there's black people in tech everywhere. Don't let them fool you. Right. So I was like, what? I like interviewing people. I like getting to know people, asking questions and sharing resources. So I'm like, what way could I do that? And so I was like, a podcast would be perfect. Now, let me tell you, before I did this podcast, I did try to do another podcast with a co-host. And so I learned a lot through that process. And I was like, you know, I think we should split that partnership. But I did, over time, say, okay, I still, I really like to do this. It helps me release my creative side. What else, you know, how can I keep this going? So I decided to take on the venture by myself and I just kept going because there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of black individuals in tech, but their authentic stories and the stories from their perspective wasn't being shared. So why not share them? What's holding us back? We always talk and argue about the pipeline's not dry, this, then, the other, but we weren't sharing our stories. We weren't sharing our resources. We were just basically out here hollering and writing. I mean, there's a lot of great articles about diversity and inclusion. Don't get me wrong. But I think people need to put a name to a face. Absolutely. So I was like, what better way than a podcast? Listen, podcasts, <laughs> I, I tell people this all the time, like it seems so difficult. And I'm like, but it's like the path of least resistance to get your message out there. There's no barriers to entry. No. For podcasts right now. So anyone can make a podcast. Anyone. I mean, and look at all the different companies trying to get especially people of color to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. We have Spotify. No, there's another company that was doing something similar to Spotify. People want to hear our voice. Right. It's all about not being afraid. And actually, you're so you're going to have to do a little bit of research. There's no guide to here's the best way to do a podcast. So a little bit of research of how to do it, but it's not hard at all. Yes, it will take you some time to invest in yourself. And obviously, it's not the most financially, you're not going to get like a lot of money from doing it, but that's okay. Right. Right. Telling your story is important. Telling other people's story is important. And if that's how you feel you want to tell 
your story or someone else's, why not do that? Right. And the reality of it is we drive the culture forward. We we're setting tones, we're setting trends. And these major companies, these major media organizations, they're looking to us for what's next, what's hot, what's new, what's next. So why, why not build our own platforms as opposed to just signing up, you know, and turning our brand over and also ownership. Now, this is a lawyer part of me, like <laughs> turning on here. But like a lot of these companies that are coming and courting really popular podcasts, they're mm-hmm. trying to own that podcast and take your IP where now you're just the talent, like those old, right. you know, record deals back in the day. So <laughs> it's very important for us to make sure that we have our own spaces as well and we control how our content is presented to the world. So as you've been in this pro- process of getting content out there and introducing people and connecting with folks. Have you had any light bulb moments or epiphanies about your career or life or black people in tech, anything? Um, So from my perspective, I guess career rise, I could honestly see myself doing, I guess, asking questions and being an interviewer. I don't know what you want to call that exactly. It's not exactly a role as a news anchor or anything Mm -hmm. of that nature, but something of that nature. I could definitely see myself doing that in the future. And then also a light bulb moment is also, so I'm telling the stories, like authentic stories of Blacks who are in tech, have experienced this, know these resources, but how can I push it out to the right market? or I guess like target market. My target market is kind of like millennials who are Mm -hmm. black and either in tech or looking to get in tech. How can I get those resources to the right people in order to increase the number of people in tech and have them feel comfortable? From my experience doing different events, be it a live podcast or whatever, a lot of people are looking for the community of they feel out of place being the only one at work or they can't find their tribe of tech, black techies. So I'm just hoping to increase that number and have more people feel comfortable and also more people of color get into tech. I like that. So let's let's talk about that a little more. Let's Mm -hmm. let's talk about community, Mm -hmm. because for the folks that I know who work in tech and I worked as a startup lawyer and, you know, tech space for a while, Mm -hmm. it can be not just an isolating experience, but it can be downright hostile sometimes when you are the, the black person in that environment. Right. So right. in thinking about that, do you think it's necessary for us to infiltrate their spaces, those spaces, or is it enough for us to just create communities of our own? That's a good question. And that's something I think about a lot because yes, they already have this developed space. They mm-hmm. have these tools and maybe endless resources, but I'm also along the line of If I'm not welcome somewhere, why would I keep trying to force myself in the door? Mm -hmm. So it's like a catch 22 because, okay, if we could get all of the black tech community together and start our own thing, that'd be great and dandy. But I don't know if that's possible as of right now, just because I feel like a lot of organizations and spaces are widespread. Right, exactly. So let's let's talk a little bit more about creating our own, mm-hmm. particularly focusing on black women. Right. Okay. So black women are starting businesses at a rate, like a higher rate than any other group. Right. Yet right now, I think the number is black women get 0.02 percent mm-hmm. of VC funding. Point, not even one percent, point zero two percent. I don't know if you heard, um, but Richard Lou Dennis. Yep. You know, he he launched his uh, hundred million dollar fund that 
for those who don't know, Richard Lou Dennis is the founder of Shea Moisture, right. which is has blown up and got sold to Unilever. But in any event, he has finally he's been talking about it for months, but he launched at Essence Fest right. just this weekend, this hundred million dollar fund. Now, was it him and Queen Latifah or just is he doing this alone? The articles have just been focusing on him. Okay. Um, and then he I know that I guess a part of the deal when it was sold mm-hmm. is um, part of the deal was that I think money was given that $50 million was given by Unilever or what have you uh, to the endeavor as well. I have not seen Queen Latifah's name in the articles that I've, I've read, but it's, it is a possibility that she's involved. And if that's the case, shout out to Queen Latifah. Because uh, the only reason I said that is because when I, I think I was looking up something last night and it mentioned her too. And I mm-hmm. was like, well, they didn't really put her in the art. Like she wasn't right. in the article, any articles I read until last night. Yeah, because that would be news to me. Every, you know, his face has been on everything and his name has been on everything. So if she's involved in some way, I definitely want to know about it. And if she if she is involved and hasn't been given the same shine as him, that speaks to another problem for sure. <laughs> right. I'm definitely going to look it up and let you know. But yes, please look that up because now, now I'm curious. But so talking about this, funding situation. Do you think it's possible for black women in tech to make a larger imprint and expand our influence without a greater infusion of capital? Mm -hmm. That again is a hard question. Mm -hmm. It's just you want to think everything is fair, right? Mm -hmm. You want to think that after seeing us grow and expand that people would take the time to invest in black women. You see how successful we're doing. You see how hard we're working. Why not invest? I think it's twofold in one, going back on what we spoke about, about if you want to be invested with someone, they might want to take a majority share Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like the mouthpiece and the workhorse. So it's like you I don't I understand people want to eventually sell and, you know, um, kind of be behind the scenes making money, but it will take a long time to get there. So it's like if you want to be that person and sell your business on one hand, it's like, okay, I think that would will start to be more possible. But in regards to a woman just who wants to keep her business, wants to keep building and get resources, I think it'll be a long time coming, to be honest. And I just think it's we're moving with change, obviously. Mm-hmm. Change is constant these days, especially with the unit that we have in. Uh-huh. Oh, so, gosh, I just got an instant headache. Right. <laughs> so I'm think. I mean, from my perspective, it's like, do you really think he's going to put anything in place or make people do anything to assist us? I think any change that's going to come that's going to benefit our community is going to have to be some kind of law or some kind of written rule that Mm -hmm. you have to give. Let's say you have to give 50 percent of your resources and money to black women Mm -hmm. unless it's written, unless it's something that is established. I just don't think it will happen. People still look at our community as being different. Right. And being different scares a lot of people. So if we're different and we're doing different things that are successful, that's scary to them. Mm -hmm. So why would they invest in something that's scary and different? They like the same thing. They like to invest in the same thing. And we see where that's getting us right now. Exactly. And and. You know, I think we're in moving into a time, it's unfortunate and downright infuriating that there are initiatives to help and get those resources to the right people. Not only are they not being developed, but the, the systems and the protections that have been in place to help us to make sure that we're given 
give it an adequate shot. That's being scaled back. We're, we're right. living in a day and time where things are being undone, right. which is a, a, a greater problem. And I was reading one of the articles about this this whole new fund with Richelieu mm-hmm. and a, a woman who has started another VC fund with a considerable amount of money allocated to black women mm-hmm. said that when she was speaking to people about it, Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's keep it real, like white men. It was like, oh, that's such a great mission that you have. It's so nice that, you know, you're giving back in that way. Mm-hmm. And for me, it clicked that many people still don't see us as a viable investment. Like yes. if they do it, it's a handout, you know, with no expectation that there's going to be a return. But what's interesting to me is having worked in the startup space and working with people in private equity and hedge funds and VCs, Everybody I've worked with who's an investor will tell me, I, I, you know, I've got stock certificates or I've got, you know, paperwork that shows I have an equity stake in so many companies. Most of them just died. I don't even know what happened, but it doesn't matter because you throw some money around and you, you know, you know that maybe one in five are going to be successful. So what's interesting to me is that the purse strings are being held so tightly when it comes to us. Mm-hmm. But I know that these folks that are deep pocketed throw money at a lot of things, most of which do not get off the ground. But we're held to a different standard often we've got to jump through different hoops to get money from people oh for sure and i'm just trying to think back was there a time that we've never had to jump through hoops for anything Mm, no (laughs) so i mean we can't expect it to just change magically or immediately now a couple things that i will say is there's different vcs that are trying to empower the black community such as arlen hamilton Mm -hmm. is has her vc um, company and she's investing in a lot of businesses that are people of color and she's open about it and she's doing such a great job with that. I know Monique Woodard used to be at um, the name of her old company is escaping me, but she was working in the VC space and trying to assist people of color. So there are people out there. Again, it comes to resources. And also, I think from our perspective of having to jump through hoops, just being prepared. And I know that probably sounds crazy, like it's our fault, but that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is we know we have to go through these hoops, right? We go through these hoops, be it our own business or being at a job. So making sure that we are fully prepared, we always have everything documented. We always are just anything somebody can ask for. We need to be like 20 steps ahead. Right. It's unfortunate, but in the end, we'll be happy and hopefully someone will invest. But also we have to think from this perspective, do you really want someone to invest in you that you had to jump through hoops for that didn't even see your vision? That Right. Basically, I feel like if someone's calling something, oh, I like your mission. That's like when somebody says, oh, your little project or, you know, like <laughs> exactly, your, little, your something. little thing. <laughs> right. So it's like, do you really want that person to invest in your business? We, I think we need to also... I understand for people of color, money is and investing is hard. Like you can't start something with zero dollars. But I think we just need to be a little conscious of who we're taking money from. You don't want to take money from someone and then find out that like, let's just say like they're racist or something. You don't want to take money from that person and they're supporting your black business. But then they have these hidden feelings. So I'm just be careful about who you take money from. Don't think you have to take the first offer or the first person that wants to put into your business. Yeah. And I I don't know if you've been having this internal dialogue, but for me, the more I read and the more I learn about even outside of where I might take money from, but where I also spend my money, Mm. you start realizing how many companies are tied to the prison industrial complex or just supporting causes that I do not want to fund in any way, even with my few little dollars that I spend. (laughs) It's hard. I'm finding that I'm in a moral dilemma a lot about where I spend my paycheck. Right. You know, because I know that they're doing some stuff. (laughs) 
the scenes. Right. Well, even I was um, before Trump fully got into office, I was just doing research like you were talking about the prison, like prisons and how they're funded. And I'm like, how come nobody ever talked about this right. like, before now? Like, do you know how much money prison is like? It's almost like sending your child to camp. Mm. But we're paying like we're paying for these people to go to this camp and they're overcrowded. They're not being treated, not fairly. They're not being treated like they're only getting like bologna sandwiches. They ain't giving no extravagant meal. Mm -hmm. They don't have like a four course meal. Why are we allowing this to happen in this country? Right. We just it's a lot that goes on. And even with the immigrant children being separated from their parents, I was reading that a few tech companies were assisting them with like giving them this information and helping ICE. And it's like, why are we st still supporting this? Why isn't there like a larger uproar about these things? But I understand on one hand, you, hand, you become like a little numb mm -hmm. to the situation because you see something every day. It's like information overload and so it's like on one hand, I understand that. On another hand, there's so much information you have to decipher what's real and what's not. Right. So I understand wanting to hold back. But at the same time, it's like there's so many injustices and especially using information from different tech companies. Why are we not more in an uproar? Right. And I, I think a lot of people just don't know. They don't mm. realize it. You know, now there's such a focus on, you know, immigration and because of who is in office. I think there is there, there's more outrage that's bubbling and that's going to continue during his term. And the he talks about like you don't know what's real and what's not. But it's so crazy because I'll read these headlines and think, is this the onion? Like, is this a fake article? <laughs> and I realized, no, like this is on CNN. Right. CNN, this is really happening. Right. And I don't even think, you know, I consider myself a realist who's acutely aware of what people will do, you know, mm -hmm. for money. But I, I don't think I was even clear on how many companies are lining their pockets off prison. Mm -hmm. immigration initiatives mm -hmm. and things like and, and and you know people are choosing money and they're choosing revenue in the bottom line and profit margins over simply what's right right I don't know where the moral compass like shifted mm -hmm. in the country I feel like there's been a huge shift at this point so I'm just I'm interested to see what happens next I'll put it that way right I'm, I'm interested to see what's what happens next and I'm also working very hard to build my nest egg <laughs> and make sure that if this economy goes the way that I'm afraid it's gonna go that I'm prepared right right I do think oh, it, for it, sure. it can be worse than 08 by the time where it's all said and done with, with this guy I'm trying to think 08 oh okay. that was a big crash huge you know that was a big crash of right 08. well that's yeah. why I went to grad school yeah because in 08 I graduate I would have well I graduated in 2009 mm -hmm. but you know how everything went down in 08 right I was like how am I supposed to find a job like I don't <laughs> it was there's, right I'm, I'm like my mom was like just go on to grad school and then figure it out after that mm -hmm. like at least by then maybe something would have change so right and that's why I have a sense a greater sense of urgency to mobilize within hmm. my communities because I feel like we're gonna need it right. we need it now absolutely but we're gonna need it more and more as time goes on if you if you are reading mm -hmm. uh you know and and I think sometimes because it is a lot and it is information overload like people look at the headlines but it doesn't register like when it was announced that Justice Kennedy was retiring right and what that means for the like the rest of our lives, basically, depending on who takes that seat, it could change the trajectory of our communities in a very real way. Got to be informed. But segueing back to communities and talking about being informed, you know, our communities outside of money, what other resources do you think are needed for us to make our stake or, you know, stake our claim within the tech world? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was just talking about recently is so we have all these things to learn programming mm -hmm. and all this 
these tech related skills. But what about soft skills? There's a lot of people I've seen who don't know how to form their resume. Right. There's a lot of people who don't know certain interview skills, how to dress to go to an interview, what to say, what not to say. I think we need to focus on not only the tech skills, but also the soft skills and how to get in the door to even get to an interview, how to when you're in the door, how to present yourself, how to get the job. And also, what do you do when you're there? A lot of people don't even know. Let's use it. For example, you know, with people, you got to have everything in writing, like everything in an email or writing or something to keep track of, you know, what people are saying just in case anything goes down. Right. And how are you going to know that if you don't have someone who's mentoring you, someone who told you that, a class that taught you that? I think we just lack kind of that skill set right now. And I think that's something that we need to push for. So people that's more common knowledge than like, oh, why do I need to wear a tie to an interview? Right. And do you think that they are there are unique skills that are required, unique soft skills that are required to succeed specifically in tech? Or do you think it's the same across the board? I think some are the same across the board, but it, I I guess it, it is job dependent. So for instance, as a business analyst or as a scrum master, you're going to be need to be able to communicate and talk to your team and be a team collaborator. But a developer who would still need to be into collaboration, but they would need to be more verbal and being able to describe what work they've done or but they don't have to be client facing. So it's just like each job brings its own skill set it needs, but they still cross between each of the jobs. If that makes sense. That makes sense. So for someone who's listening, who has an interest in tech, Mm -hmm. but doesn't really know where to start, because I know a lot of people, they hear tech and they think, oh, you're just a coder or you build apps or you build software, but it really is a diversified space. So for someone who's like, I'm interested, but I don't know what part of tech I want to be in or where my skills uh, might work best, where can they go to learn more and just get more information about the opportunities out there? So first thing I would recommend is reaching out to your network. So you might know someone who is a application developer, someone who's a scrum master, someone who's trying to think what else, um, a QA tester, quality assurance tester, reach out to those people and just have a small informational interview. Ask them, what do you do in your day to day? What skill set do you need to do this? Maybe ask if you could shadow them for a day. I think one thing that us as a community is afraid to do is ask for help. Right. So people want to help. People want to share their knowledge. Ask them questions. And there's always one person in your network, even if you don't know or you don't believe they're actually in tech that does tech work. So just ask them, can I have coffee with you and talk about what you do? I'm interested in the space. Now, if you don't know someone who's in the space and you're looking for more information. Obviously, you can listen to the podcast. I've had multiple different just industries, be it someone who's a tech entrepreneur and is talking about how to raise money. Mm -hmm. Last podcast episode I had was um, two individuals, Tiffany Michael and Dr. Courtney Zegler, and they talked about growing their business, but also how the black tech movement has evolved. Mm -hmm. So you get different information from different resources. So obviously the podcast, I would say, is a resource. And then good old trusty Google. You can Google and just start with the basics of um, what are various text positions. So you have an idea like a list that says this, this and this and learn what each position is. See the skill set. See what interests you. Absolutely. And there I have these moments where I'm like, I can't believe we live in an age where information is literally at our our fingertips. Like I remember having to go to the library. Like, really? (laughs) 
Yes, I'm a little, probably a little bit older than you, but like I remember having to go to the library to research, really? right? Like pre, okay. you know, internet, encyclopedias, all of right. that, you know. So right. it, it, internet was not really. It was starting to be that much of a thing towards mm-hmm. like the latter half of my high school career, but before that, we were like in the stacks, you know. So the fact right. that you can go to a website and and even like when internet started, mm-hmm. it was like people were on like Ask Jeeves, like it was like you know I remember you. Remember, <laughs> You might remember that, like yeah. when Jeeves was the yeah. thing, you know? So the fact that we have this information, so much of it at our fingertips and not just substantive information, but being able to find people. So right. for me, even if you don't know anyone, to me, that is not an excuse because there are ways mm-hmm. to be able to reach out to people, send a cold email, look on LinkedIn. If you don't have the network, you absolutely can build it. You just right. got to be willing to put in the work. Well, that's OK. We were talking about soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. Some people don't even know how to send a cold email or what a cold email is. So a cold email is just sending an email to someone that you don't know asking or introducing yourself or asking for something. So a lot of people just don't even know what a cold email is. These are skills that would be helpful, right? especially for people trying to get in the industry. Absolutely. So you're fully entrenched at this point. You've got... The job, you've got the podcast, are there other things that you're working on as well? Side hustles or those two main, the, the main hustle and that one side hustle right now? Um, so that's my main side hustle. I also do like speaking engagements. Okay. So like speaking, I've done various panels, uh, you know, like keynote speaking. Mm-hmm. So I do do that. I go and speak about, it could be about tech, women's empowerment, just like positivity, how to stay positive in certain spaces. So I also do that as well. Okay. So what does a typical day look like? for you oh god there's probably no typical one but um well actually with my new position it's like the work-life balance has gotten a lot better Mm -hmm. so that's helpful i usually get to work around eight you're an early early start for tech that seems early I feel like everyone's in the office around that time. Okay. And then like, so for those eight hours, I usually, everyone usually leaves between four and five, which okay. is like kind of nice. And I'm focused for that eight hours only on work. Okay. Like no outside stuff, just working with my clients, getting things done. After that, take the short ride home. It's about 30 minute commute. Get home and either I'm working on something for podcast, be it editing a podcast or lining up new interviews, doing social media, whatever. So doing that, or I'm working on, just something like deals for trying to speak at events Mm -hmm. or going to networking events. So that's another thing I forgot to mention is if you're trying to get in tech, go to some tech networking events. There's lots of panels. There's lots of events that you can meet people and connect with and learn more about what they're doing, too. So definitely networking. And then it's time to go to bed to do it all. Do it all over again. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about the speaking a little bit, because I think folks who are trying to build a brand, they Mm -hmm. see it as viable and valuable to the process. Right. But they don't necessarily know how to get the exposure. So are you reaching out to people trying to create opportunities for yourself or are they coming to you? A little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So definitely have to. It's just like anything else. You have to hustle. So if I see somewhere where I want to speak, I'll reach out and throw my name in the hand and say, you know what, there's. Um, I see your event coming up. Do you need anyone to speak? I do this, that, and the other. Another good thing to have, and I need to work on this myself, is to have like your personal website. You mm-hmm. can make a website in Wix, W-I-X, WordPress, um, Squarespace, right. any of that. And it's not 
expensive, but just so people know you're out there and you can lead them into the direction of your past speaking engagements and what you've done in the past. So working on that. Oh, I'm in the same struggle. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like you want everything to be perfect before you release Mm -hmm. it. It's like sometimes you just got to release this. Right. Just release it. You can update it. There's no hard stop on what you can do. Right. Just it's a lot of hustling. And I also to keep perfecting your craft, you have to take classes and keep learning. So I did, I take like public speaking classes, go to events where you can like public speak and practice, all sorts of things. And what I think is important, I want to highlight, especially out of what you said, is not being afraid to throw your hat in the ring and say, I'm a subject matter expert here. I I have information that I can bring to your event. Do you have a need? And I I think sometimes I'll speak specifically to black women. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we dim our own lights. Like we don't want to put ourselves out there and say, no, I'm I'm knowledgeable in this. I have something to bring to the table that Mm -hmm. can elevate your event. And you should consider that. Right. And I mean, that comes from, like you mentioned earlier, of cold emails. Just send an email and say, like, yo, I saw your event. It looks dope. Like, I want to speak at it. What can we do to make it happen? And often people are looking, right? Right. Like they are looking for folks to bring in. I know we're constantly trolling the interwebs and talking to people to find guests on this podcast. So the the first time somebody said to me, you know, he was recommended an upcoming guest. And he was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I was on your Instagram and I saw uh, an episode promo for somebody that I knew. And I was like, let me get on this, jump on this and put it in the comment about how amazing this is. And hopefully they'll notice me. Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking we just started like this little podcast. I, I right. didn't think that someone because, again, the perfectionism, I'm like, we got to build out our online presence. I didn't right. think that someone could see that and say, I want to be there. Like, I want to be on what you're mm-hmm. doing. So it, I think it goes both ways, having confidence um, when you're the speaker, when you're the talent trying to get your brand out there and, right. and realizing that that these these venues and these opportunities they're looking for people and also not being afraid to build and say I'm just starting out but will you come alongside me and do something too or be featured on what I'm doing right and I think a lot of it is the whole concept of confidence and then imposter syndrome we don't Mm -hmm. feel like we I don't want to say we don't feel like we belong but you know what I mean like we don't feel like oh we can't do that we don't I don't really have that skill set or you know whatever whatever I always just say walk walk into anything with the confidence of a white man listen you said it not me but you know <laughs> but, what i mean it's, it's like true. white you walk in there and own the room walk right. in there and you have to walk in there and with the confidence or the vibe of i got this i'm supposed to be in this room and i'm gonna own it absolutely and i just think that that kind of holds especially women back is not doing that right because a lot of people who are doing it are not even equipped but they still have the confidence right, <laughs> right. they have an entitlement that you know right you're gonna respect them and acknowledge that they deserve a seat at the table even when they don't so right and I see black women all the time who should be there have so right. much to bring and they're like oh, I don't you know I don't know if I'm not good enough I see it even on this podcast really yeah because anyone who has listened you know, frequently knows we've had way more male guests. We're only at our right. second female guest. And it's not for a lack of trying. It's a couple of reasons. Sometimes it's just busy. Women are just jagging away too much. But right. also, you know, I've spoken to women who are like, I definitely want to be on, but I don't know if I'm prepared. So like, can we just give it some time? I'm just going to like, you know, beef up on my knowledge of it. And I'm just thinking, I'm talking to you right now and I see that you are an expert and whatever we want to bring you on for. But then the minute I ask you to come on and, and now it's going to be recorded and 
undocumented, you're like, I don't know if I've got the good. So I, I think sometimes we just overthink it. Oh, for sure. And minimize our experience and our expertise in a way that maybe our male counterparts, black or white, do not. Right. For sure. So whose story do you draw inspiration from? Oh, this is a hard one. Um... I draw inspiration from, obviously, Oprah would be a good one. Oprah gets a lot of shine on the podcast, yeah. for sure. I mean, she's just Oprah. And she, like, start, like, I, from my understanding of her story and everything, just, like, the way she was in Baltimore. And then she eventually grew and grew. And then she gets her own show. Now she has her own network. Mm-hmm. And it's just great to see a Black woman with that type of growth. I'm trying to think tech-wise, like, well, whose story would... Oh, Ar- Arlen, uh, Arlen, Hammond, yeah, Arlen Hamilton, just seeing her growth and no one really believed that she could support people of color and their startups. And mm-hmm. now she's doing phenomenal. She's making headway in that space. She's making it known that you can invest in people of color is amazing. So watching her story of at one point being homeless and now going to supporting all these companies and being successful is amazing. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's important for me to humanize our guests mm-hmm. to make sure mm-hmm. that people know like this has not been a seamless process and the folks that you admire in industry often they've started from the bottom especially with us you know right. you know i read these stories i was reading a story about the tish family which you know that name is well known in in new york mm-hmm. um but you know how they built this empire with you know hotels and their names around buildings at colleges or what have you yeah but the, it, the start was like one of the brothers got a loan for you know 100 and i think 60 dollars from his family member and i'm like well yeah you know if you're, if you're getting right. <laughs> that money to start right right it's a lot easier to build an empire than if you're starting with nothing right um so for you let's talk about maybe something that you've been through um that was difficult can you tell us about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day um yeah so it wouldn't be just a day I guess it was a season of life is what I'll call it where my mom was diagnosed with cancer wow I got laid off the next day (laughs) and just having to like navigate like okay I have a sick family member you know I need to be there for them I also need a job because I still have like bills don't stop right what am I gonna do and just having to navigate that space and I was laid off I think I was laid off for about uh, about three or four months Mm -hmm. and then I finally got a different position but then also having to balance okay I have a new position but my mom still needs you know my attention and my care and you know, so that was definitely, I would say, one of the hardest periods of my life, but got through that. So so when you were going through that, because I, I think sometimes when what year was this? So that was, uh, let me see, 2011. So it was like 2014. OK, 2013, 2014. So you had been in your career you know, for a bit. Right. Were you doing other things at that time when all this happened or were you just working? I was just working. OK. So I think what's important to highlight is because people, 26ers especially, like calamity happens and they Mm -hmm. feel like they've got to keep all the balls in the air. Right. And when things like that, what I consider trauma, those traumatic events happen or life changes, it's okay to take a step back and say, okay, my focus right now is to make sure my mother's okay and to find a job. That's it. I can't be thinking about all these other side projects that I may want to do. Right. I think it's important to highlight that sometimes 
being extraordinary on an ordinary day or in a, a bad season means just getting the foundation right, getting the basics covered. Mm-hmm. And that is it. Exactly. And I think it's that all stems from right now. Everything is all about being instantaneous. Mm-hmm. I want it now. I need it now. This has to happen this way. This has to happen now. And we got to get out of that. Right. But that's what happened when tech was at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Everything is just like, if I can get it right now and it's right here, why am I not having it right now? That's right. not life. Right. That's not real life. You can't get, if that was the case, I want a million dollars right now. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, not in my bank account right now, but you have to work towards it. You have to build. If you don't have a foundation, what's going to happen? The house is going to crumble. Right. So make sure your foundation is straight always. No matter if you have to take a break, you got to help your family. You have to make sure that foundation is solid at Absolutely. all times. And I think it's also important to highlight that like, yeah, we have these lists like 30 under 30 and, oh, you know, the gosh. Zuckerbergs of the world who just, you know, came a gazillionaire very at a very young age. Mm-hmm. But for the majority of us, that's just not going to be the case. And that's okay. Right. I I hear people who are, you know, my age, 36, you know, and that Mm -hmm. talking like the best years of their lives have passed them by. Like, I'm so behind. I'm like, most people aren't hitting their stride right. until now or, or a little bit later. So you can't focus and you can't compare yourself to right. like a 25 year old white man. It's just not the same thing. Right. <laughs> and I mean, it, well, I think because a lot of people are do this comparison. It comes mm-hmm. and I think it comes from a few different places. So you have Instagram or whatever, people showing their best moments in life. Right. And you think that's their life and you're like, oh, why don't why can I get to Italy? Why can I go on these trips? Why mm-hmm. can I do this that, and the other? And it's like, girl, that girl probably went home and cried all day after she posted that picture. Like, it's okay. You're right. only seeing one snippet mm-hmm. of what goes on in someone's life and yet everyone wants to always compare to that one snippet. Right. And it's just like, it's just not real. And then you got to think reality TV came on. Mm-hmm. Before reality TV, nobody was talking about like wanting to move to Atlanta. Not that Atlanta is a bad place, but you know what I mean? Nobody was really like trying to be a housewife mm-hmm. and following these people, trying to be keeping up with the Kardashians. I'm not trying to keep up with Kim. Kim right. did a lot to get here, but I, I don't want to take that route. Exactly. But everybody wants to. <laughs> but everybody wants to make that comparison of like, oh, I got to get it like, you know, have this Range Rover and do this that, and the other. And it's like, no, you need to build some equity you need to have some money in your account right if you can pay these bills like you don't need to work if you can pay your bills every month you are not homeless i mean of course the next step would be you want to help your family mm-hmm. or your friends if they're in need but if you could just have a house of uh, roof over your head and you could pay your bills I don't think you should be complaining about anything. No. And well, you're doing, you want a job like so you can keep that going. Keep but it you going. know what I mean. But, you know, like, why are we worried about all this excess stuff? Like everyone is so designer label driven mm-hmm. right now because that's what we see constantly on TV, on right. Instagram. It's always in our face. And it's like, I just wish we would get, could get back to the time where you go run outside with your friends. Right. You go, I don't know. So in Chicago, like everything on the summer, it's all street festivals. Like, let me just go to a street festival and we're not all worried about being on Instagram live, showing we're having a good time, but having a good time. Exactly. Being so. in the moment. I, I honestly, and because I have so much going on, I check my email mm-hmm. often and, and what have you. But I do, I miss the days where I like met friends 
you know, for dinner and there were no cell phones. Right. Like we were just in the moment. Nobody was worried about what was going on. And I'm realizing that a lot of people use social media as like a mind numbing thing. Like, oh, I just how I passed the time, you know, right. but not realizing the effects of that. Seeing right. that all the time with that being in your face, it can affect your psyche and it can put you in a place of despair. Like, what am I doing? They're doing all these great things. And the, those great things are vignettes, right? right. Of a much bigger picture is probably real ordinary. Right. <laughs> like so. I said, that girl, you post this picture mm-hmm. and then she at home crying because she don't have no friends or something like you right. just don't know what someone is really going through from this, these pictures that they're posting everything like to me I feel like Instagram is art mm-hmm. I think of it this way Instagram is art it's lovely to look at these pictures that's dope you took this cool picture I don't take it seriously right. if I'm sitting there taking it that serious like I gotta change my priorities exactly and I know for me I don't want to just be like an Instagram influencer. Like, I don't want, I, I I chuckle when I see these folks who have, you know, a couple million followers, these women, they're selling like diet tea. I'm like, that's not what I want to be known for. Now, like, let me take a step back. I mean, I wouldn't mind like if somebody like was sending me some stuff to post on Instagram. Right. I ain't going to say no. Right, right. I mean, I'm not doing no flat tummy tea. Let's be honest. <laughs> But what um, what's funny is so I was here in New York about I think it was last October and I was here for a bachelorette party. So we we're going bar hopping or whatever, whatever. And we get to this bar and I like see the this girl and she like all made up, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Blah. And it's just like a bunch of them. And I'm like, you know, when something feels a little off. Yep. So like someone's walking around with like a video camera. I'm like, are we in a reality show? They were in. Instagram influencer party and they were sharing tips of how to be better on Instagram and that kind of thing. I'm like, that's not... I understand that it's all a business right. um, for some people, but you can't just, you got to have a per like that personality. Remember like back in the day when there was none of the social media, mm-hmm. but when you saw somebody on TV, they had that it factor. Like, you know, they were, they had that right. personality. They had that presence. Let's go back to just being authentic and genuine and having that. Exactly. And listen, I'm, I'm getting how you, you, you want to get it right. right like if, right. if, endorsement, oh, sure. if the endorsement opportunities come to me, if it's something that I want to endorse I'm taking I'm with you the flat tummy tea ain't happening so I'm not saying it's a terrible thing but it just it feels very vapid I'm like where's the depth where's like being a multifaceted person who offers more to the world so that that's I want to just make that clear that that's what we're talking about right right Right. how you how you keep your lights on no oh for sure you know like like I said it's still a business I'm not saying don't do your business by any means do you I'm just saying it just wouldn't be for me absolutely so what's on the horizon for you. Um, definitely more podcasts. I'm trying to get into different cities and understand just like their tech ecosystem and how they, what are blacks that are in tech doing in different cities? Mm-hmm. So definitely would like to keep interviewing people from various areas, international even. I have a, I have had a few international guests, but I just want to keep expanding and making it known that the pipeline is not dry. And given if I had the opportunity to speak on that and just my findings from those experiences, I'd love to do that, too. That sounds awesome. And where can people find you online? I think everything is my name. They can find me on Instagram, Dina, D-E-E-N-A underscore M-C-K-A-Y. Also on Twitter, same thing. And they can find Black Tech Unplugged on Facebook and also on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter is B-L-K Tech U-N-P-L-G-E-D because you can only have so many letters. Right. <laughs> I've been on Twitter in so long, I forgot about that. But anyway... <laughs> 
<laughs> don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. It's my secret. I talked in a previous episode about how I'm terrible with social media. Listen, if somebody wants to come on and be my social media manager, we are looking. Holla at me. It's necessary. So you could put you could put that on your Instagram and get influencers <laughs> who want to do your job. Yes. Like do that for you. That is not my strength. <laughs> I know my lane, and that ain't one of them. Hey, it's, that ministry is not for everyone. Right? Exactly. That is not my anointing, and I'm clear <laughs> on that. But in any event, I want to make sure people find you online. So to our listeners, please go out there, make sure you look up Dina and follow what she's doing. Check out the podcast. Are you so you're on every platform? Yes. Yeah. Like iTunes, pretty much. Google Play Music, all yep, that great iTunes, stuff. Apple Podcast, Google Play. You can find the episodes on the website itself. I post them on there so it's easier to access to. Well, thank you so much for nope. being here with me on this fine Saturday morning. <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. And to our audience, after you go check out Dina, make sure you subscribe to her podcast and leave a review because that's yeah. important oh, as yes. well. Five stars, five stars. Make sure you give those five <laughs> stars. Do not forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thobo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.